Hi, I'm Andras Jones, and I'd like to let you know about a little show we're doing in L.A. the week this episode with Bloody Death Skull comes out. On Thursday, January 11th, I'll be hosting a night of music at The Cinema Bar at 3967 Sepulveda Boulevard in Culver City. We'll be celebrating the unofficial soft release of the new Radio 8 Ball app with a night of music from several songwriters that fans of Radio 8 Ball already know and love. Folks like Colleen Green... Bart Davenport. For the sensitive, it's so hard to live, and the callous all succeed. Take a look around at this world I've found, like a lost work of be. It's a grown-up time for me. And Cooper Walker's band Walker and Company, featuring keyboardist Marshall Thompson. as well as Myrna, Bloody Death Skull, and other surprise guests. I'll be starting things off with a set of my own songs at 8pm, so don't be late, and the whole thing is free, and 21 and over. That's Thursday, January 11th, at the Cinema Bar in Culver City, California. And now, let the musical divination begin. But I just keep running on. Hi, this is Anya Marina, and you're listening to my synchronistic soul brother, Andras Jones, on Radio 8 Ball. Welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones. We're here in the studio with Bloody Death Skull. Hello. And we are also now joined on the line by someone who's been a guest and contributor to Radio 8 Ball many times in the past. She is Veronica Monet. And is she is an internationally acclaimed sexual empowerment change agent, CNN, Fox, Politically Incorrect, Yale, Stanford, and UC Berkeley are just a few of the numerous news and educational institutions that have hosted Veronica for her forward-thinking insights and expertise.
movies, and now we can add Radio 8 Ball to that illustrious list. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, Veronica <laughs> Monet. It's really great actually to be back here. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. We've been, uh, Radio 8 Ball has been in exile for a little while, but we have found our footing here at Feral Audio. And of course, I had to have you back because you always ask great questions and offer great insights. And I just, uh, I'm a big supporter of your work. So, Thank uh, you, Andres. Yeah, before we get into asking your question, is there anything that you particularly feel inspired to share with us or talk about? Well, you know, obviously the news is just full of me too. And um, I am, uh, I just did a radio interview yesterday on that topic. And um, I'm getting, um, I'm working on a feature article um, on the topic as well. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this takes us next. Um, and there's a lot of work ahead of us so that um, all genders can actually start communicating successfully with each other and we're not there yet right now um there's uh, a lot of anger um and i think it's well well placed i think it's you know all revolutions require a certain amount of rage for liftoff but i'm really uh, as we move into 2018 i'm looking for where where's the love was that your question or or uh... Are, that was no. That's that's well. That's, that's just what I'm, yeah. That's just that's what I'm bringing. I'm bringing the love. Got it. And you know, there <laughs> one of the things that inspired me to get in touch with you. I saw something that uh, an interview that you had done where you talked about distinguishing between the different the difference between shame and guilt, which I thought yeah. was a really really interesting. Uh, well, just a, a sort of an empowering distinction, just because I have. Well, it, it applies to me because I think of uh, every uh, Thanksgiving I do a holiday that I call Guilt Fast. And yes. I believe yeah. that in the ideas that, you know, before thanking, it's good to acknowledge our complicity and the things that we do feel some that we have a reasonable feeling to feel guilty about. And a lot of people have come down on me about, oh, guilt is a negative. Guilt is a negative emotion. And when I heard you talk about it and talk about guilt as being a positive emotion when you have something to be guilty for, as opposed to shame, which is more toxic, that really resonated with me. And it was one of the things that I thought would be great to have you on to maybe talk about that maybe in terms of the what you were talking about about the me too-ness in the in the uh yeah culture right now well absolutely and, and because we're really talking about how is it that we as human beings can be accountable for our actions and um you know there's a so it's even kind of it, Sympathy and empathy. What are the difference between that? Well, sympathy is oftentimes we kind of collapse into feeling sorry for somebody. Whereas empathy, we share their feelings. Maybe we want to try to right those wrongs uh, if we've hurt them. Um, so sympathy kind of disempowers people, whereas empathy can be very empowering. And, and I think the same thing happens for uh, shame and guilt. Shame is something that causes us to collapse into uh, self-pity and also a, a sense that there's something really wrong with us, uh, that we're defective. And consequently, shame almost invariably leads to re-perpetration. So people do something that they don't like. It has a bad outcome. It hurts somebody and, you know, themselves and other people. They feel bad about themselves, not about what they did, but about themselves. And because they feel bad about themselves, then 
There's no reason to behave better. There's nothing to build on. That house has no foundation. And so people wind up in this um, this cycle of violence. And there's a, a fabulous book. It's, it was published in the 1990s, so it's an old one. But it, the, the author is a psychiatrist who spent years in prison systems. And uh, his name is James Gilligan, married to the famous Carol Gilligan. And the book is called Violence, and uh, I'm just finishing. I've loved the book because he just points over and over again to how some of the most horrific crimes you could even imagine are they find their origins in shame. And um, if you if you look at the work of Brene Brown, who is kind of our, our modern shame expert, she's a, a, um, a research scientist and a professor, um, she talks about how we have to differentiate between shame and guilt because guilt is where we get our accountability. We do something, we go, ah, that didn't land right for me. I'm not feeling good about what I did. So I want to go change what I did. I want to rectify that. I want to make amends. But the person who's shame-based just says, I feel terrible about myself. I am a terrible person. So I might as well just keep doing terrible things. And that's that's kind of the, the difference in, in the highlighted version there. It, of course, becomes more subtle in lives that aren't so dramatically punctuated by violence and acting out in really dramatic ways. But I, I don't know. Is that... Does, is that helpful? Oh, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, it definitely is. It, it goes to what I, what I was bringing up. I, there was one clarification when you say that, like, when someone is feeling shame and then they judge themselves and they think I'm an awful person. And then you say, well, then they it gives it sort of gives them license to just keep acting in ways that are awful. I, is that as part of that, like the idea that it's not that like, oh, I'm an awful person, so I have an excuse to keep doing awful things, but it's like, I'm an awful person, therefore, that my identity is that I do awful things, and I am almost like the victim of my own awfulness, in a way. So, like, I can't help yes. myself. I'm going to keep doing awful things because my mom told me I was awful or my dad told me I was awful or, you know, I somewhere in the, in the, this, in my, in building my identity, I decided that about me. It's not like someone, like when you said it, it maybe it sounded like there was like, people are using that as an excuse. Ah. And I think of it more like it's beyond excuse. It's like identity, right? It's like you, that's who you are. Like, I can't help myself. I drink. That's just who I am. I can't stop myself. Or I punch walls or people. I can't help myself, you know? Yes, yes, and I, I, I'd say I, that when I talk about the collapse of the person, uh, that they collapse into the shame, there's a way in which um, they're hopeless, and and they're actually experiencing so much grief about yeah. being them. And, you know, typically, you see these people that go out in a blaze uh, where they, you know, the mass shootings we've been witness to. Uh, I obviously am not in a position to psychoanalyze every one of those uh, murderers, but um, if you believe the research, and I do, I, I think there's a really good chance that those people were not feeling very good about themselves. Um, and so they kind of know that they're going to die. Uh, that's part of the plan. And there's this way in which um, they are so full of self-hatred and shame that their only response to that is to collapse into um, this horrific 
uh, horrible behavior. But if you catch somebody who's who's like starting to have those kind of sensations and feelings about themselves uh, before it gets to that point, you can start to help them take responsibility for their behavior while building their self-esteem. And there's a distinction there. Unfortunately, what we're seeing, you know, if you want to bring in this Me Too movement right now, I think we're seeing a lot of shaming. And here's my concern about the shaming. It's kind of a shame fest right now. And I understand the inclination to want to shame these people. They have been running around uh, pretending to be one thing when there's something else. They've been pontificating and, um, uh, you know, in the case of politicians, sometimes passing judgment on other people. And here they have been committing these horrible crimes, um, sexual crimes. So I understand that we, we'd like to out these people and, and just make, make them, you know, slither off into the corner full of shame. But the thing is, is the more people that we out, the more we start to realize that this is kind of um, endemic to our culture right now. And there's a way in which we're going to have to start uh, approaching that instead of trying to demonize and shame specific individuals. That's that's strategic. Yeah. But when I, when I look at the individuals involved who um, could, you know, people like that could wind up in my office looking for help, I can't shame them if I ever want them to do better. It's just not going to happen. And I'm a little bit concerned that the shame is spilling over into offenses that don't actually... Uh, qualify as rape or sexual assault or maybe even uh, sexual harassment. I, I know David Korn from Mother Jones was just recently uh, investigated for possible sexual harassment and it involved him touching somebody's shoulders at work. Um, he's not going to be doing that anymore, by the way, but I'm kind of like, wow, we're, we're kind of moving in this direction now where I think I'm getting a lot of emails anyway and a lot of messages from men who are afraid to say anything or, or um, touch in any way. And yeah. maybe, maybe that's a stage that we have to go through, but I, I, I want us to move in a direction where we can start um, having conversations about um, consent and what it's like to to live in the, the female culture and what it's like to live in the male culture. And, and really, those two cultures need to shift. So what's interesting about shame, Andres, if you notice, most of the victims of sexual assault, rape, and sexual harassment experience shame. That's that's the way that the, the old culture was. Anything that happened to a woman's body was her fault, and so she had to take on the shame. And I mean, if you go back a few thousand years, the women were actually killed for bringing shame on the family for having gotten themselves raped. That's how extreme. And we've crawled out of that over the millennia. But we still have remnants of that old belief system. And so then when the shame that was accrued to the victims is now thrown onto the perpetrators is a way in which this feels like a leveling. It feels very fair. It feels like justice is being served. I understand that perspective. I can empathize with it myself because I'm a me too. Trust me. I, I've suffered all kinds of sexual abuse. 
But I don't think it's a way forward for us because to my eyes, shame is always going to tear us apart. And it, it gets it gets flipped back and forth. We can throw it to uh, the perpetrators. We can throw it back to the victims. But ultimately, we're just going to have to move beyond shame. We're going to have to evolve into a place where we're looking for compassion, empathy, and accountability. Well, so, with that in mind, let's uh, let's move towards your question for the Pop Oracle. What are, what is your question for us here? Ah, uh, well, let's see. How can all genders, men, women, and everybody else, find their voice without shaming each other? How can everyone all just how can everyone find their voice without shaming each other? And yeah. we are down to two songs left on the board. Song number three, which is Sky Ferreira, and song number five which is Will You, William. And we are going to engage the Pop Oracle by using our binary divination mode, the Radio 8 coin. And if it lands on heads, it's going to be song number three. And if it lands on tails, it's going to be song number five. And now, to engage the Pop Oracle, I'm going to flip the Radio 8 coin. It's the Radio 8 coin. And it is... Heads? Yeah, it's Heads, which is song number three, which is Sky Ferreira. All righty. To make money in 2008, a friend of mine answered an To drive a man in a wheelchair, to have sex with a prostitute. To make money in 2008... A friend of mine posted an ad To sell her dirty underwear online To men who would use it to masturbate To make money in 2008 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 Sky Ferreira Sky Ferreira Sky Ferreira, the answer to Veronica Monet's question about how can we, uh, can you rephrase the question? It was how can, yes, yes. How, can, how can all of us find our voice and assert our boundaries without shaming each other? 
Got it. And that was the, the song with Sky Ferreira. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of that song? Well, that song was kind of pieced together um, out of some writings uh, that I was actually, there's this literary um, magazine called Dum Dum Zine, and I was making songs out of pieces from the issues. Uh, and this one, there was this really long piece, and I kind of pulled out some phrases that, I don't know, to me somehow became a, a little bit of a story or they just felt right together. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, the first part talks about, like, these things that had to be done and, in, in, you know, you had to do in 2008. Like, well, you know, it, it, there is some, some, some themes that she's talking about that are kind of relevant to this song, actually. You know, like, what did you have to do in 2008 to get by? And, like, how do you get through now at this point in time to get by into the future um, without feeling shame or making others, exploiting other people's shame? Veronica, were you able to to follow the song a little bit? Well, um, it was a little difficult for me to hear the lyrics, but um, I'm getting that... Uh, that there are some intersections with the question. Well, if you, um, if you, there was a, there were a few lines. So let, I'll, let me jump in with a few lines that jumped out to me, and then maybe that'll help. Um, okay. So the first line, the first couple lines really went to. I mean, it was it was well to make money in two thousand eight? A friend of mine answered an ad to drive a man in a wheelchair to have sex with a prostitute. To make money in two thousand eight? A friend of mine posted an ad to sell her dirty underwear online to men who would use it to masturbate. Uh, that's where the song starts. And mm-hmm. so it's sort of been a theme through the show. And in fact, Diana had told us earlier in the show that she has a, uh, it said an obsession, a minor obsession with prostitution, uh, which is something that... Curiosity. Curiosity. Obsession is a strong word. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you're, you're speaking what, to someone who... When I, I know? <laughs> when I first met when I first met Veronica, she was giving a talk on the sacred prostitute and prostitution in history. So this oh. is something that is her field of study cool. and uh, and teaching. So I thought that that was particularly interesting. It went right to the to the heart of something that I think you might hear those lines, Veronica, different than differently than maybe a lot of people in the audience might hear those lines. And so I'm curious well, how that relates to your question. Maybe you can use that to to dig into your question. Well, certainly. Um, two things. Poverty is what I hear. Poverty. And I also hear uh, sex work. And both of those are uh, just, they're, they're very, sh- they're much, very much shamed in our culture. So uh, anybody who's indulging in um, trying to survive, or uh, are doing sex work for some people it's survival sex for some people it's 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 a calling it's um it's a career uh i myself um, pursued high-end escorting for 14 years so um and i know firsthand just how much shame people will throw at you um so i i hear that the song really does point to the idea of humanizing these people uh, instead of objectifying them. Because, you know, here's the thing about shame. When we're pushing our shame onto other people and making them the other, what we're really doing is, is showing how, how uncomfortable we are with ourselves. Um, so 
I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, well, but that's I'm, what came to mind. And I'm curious, <laughs> were, were you doing that work in 2008, just to sink in with the song? No, not at all. I, yes. I, reti- I retired officially on January 31st, 2004, just before I published my book, Sex Secrets of Escorts. Got it. Now, going back to you, Diana, what did you think about that as the answer to Veronica's question? Um, I think, so we're talking about how can we move forward without without shame, without shame, shaming each other and shaming ourselves. I think it that there is this notion in the song of kind of one sharing what you had to do, like to the level that you that things got and what you tried to do um, to make it to 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 get through whatever, you know, to 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 not be poor or whatever. Um, and like how, you know, there you might be carrying shame about what you resorted to or what you just curiously tried without judging what you were doing necessarily. But how do you share that with other people without their preconceived notions all jumping all over what you're talking about? So I think that that, you know, um, there's this whole uh, over the past few years, I really noticed like a sort of embracing of um, the aesthetic and the style of sex workers in a larger in a much larger scale, like to the style of shoes, the hairdos, but um, appropriating it, appropriating it as a sort of empowerment or like feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting, I think, to look at how that is one way that society and, and culture, the young people are, are trying to comprehend what um, what is OK, what is not OK. You can't tell me what is or is not. I can do what I want to do to if as long as I'm comfortable with it. You know? Right. Sort of like a punk rock sex positivity. Yeah. 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 Cool. This is why I wanted to have this conversation. This is awesome. <laughs> so if this was my question and I want I go back to 2008, there were two things, two big things that happened for me in 2008. One is that uh, I had something that I've talked about on Radio 8 Ball in the past. I was, uh, I was, I had my, you know, lowercase me too thing where I was harassed at a station where I was doing Radio 8 Ball and no one believed me and it ended up getting turned on me and it was really ugly. And it relates to an earlier question we had about things that went on at the LA Weekly when something happens at a place you love that makes you hate that place. It's an even deeper wound. Um, and also, and also 2008 was the year that I, that I became a drug dealer for several years, that drug being alcohol as a bartender, but still as someone mm. at the time I was doing a lot of, I had been doing a lot of energetic healing work and then found myself uh, suddenly in a state where I needed to do a different, to do a kind of work, to do any work that I could get. And the work that I could get was as a bartender. And that was a, that was eight years behind the stick, as they say. And uh, so both of those things come to mind. And I don't know about like, I don't know about the, for me, about shame in that. Andres, it's very easy for me to relate to that. Um, I was just writing on my Facebook page today that one of my responses to sexual harassment in the workplace was to become an escort. And, and, and I realized that's not an intuitive um, decision for most people. But 
I did not have a problem with sex. I I had a lot of issues around non-consent, about being manipulated, about being degraded, about feeling uh, cornered and or forced or humiliated, um, and and having my income threatened uh, of whether or not I would, um, you know, indulge even just minor stuff like, uh, you know, not like actually have sex with somebody, but allow them to treat me like a second class citizen by sexualizing their interactions with me. And there's a way and when, when I made that decision and I quit my job at Digital Equipment Corporation and I became a sex worker where I felt like I had a lot more power, a lot more dignity. And frankly, um, the reason I stayed in the in that profession for 14 years is because my clients treated me with a lot more respect um, than any of those bosses in the corporate environs that I worked in for seven years. Hmm. So, I, anyway, I don't I don't know if that sheds any light on your experience, but to me, there is something uh, really um, uh, denigrating about an environment that pretends to be one thing, but is actually something else. And one of the things that I loved about the sex industry is it is what it is. It is not trying to be something else. Everybody knows what they're there for, and they know what you're doing. Nobody's trying to pretend something else. Yeah, yeah. Diana, did you want to add anything to this conversation? Well, this conversation is just too big to, to... (laughs) <laughs> squeeze into any more minutes, but I I feel I feel very intrigued and um, about a lot of the ideas to keep thinking about. Well, now the two of you are woven together in the synchronistic realm of Radio Eight Ball, and when this comes out, you can check out each other's links. I love it. That sounds great. Thanks for listening to Radio Eight Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, and check out our website and the links provided for info about past and future shows on the Radio 8 blog, our ongoing Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the Pop Oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. I hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. And until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the radio.